Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That is right. That is right. Welcome back to another Sunday or whatever day you decide to listen to this. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always good to be back in the studio with my brother. That's right. We didn't leave. No, no, we didn't leave. Once the mic turns off, we just turn it back on and record another episode. How do you think we release them all every Sunday? I go I go to the corner over there and I, uh, I lie down and I put some papers over me. That's what I do. Me and producer Doug go and get wieners. I know. I'm not invited, so I have my cold <laughs> beans. <laughs> that producer Doug gave me back when we started this podcast many years ago. Well, we've been paying it with IOUs, so... Oh, that's why the wiener man stares at me awkwardly. That's right. Uh, anyway, this episode, we're not going to talk about wieners. Uh, we're gonna talk about... <laughs> that was episode 69. <laughs> yeah, that was episode X-Man on the, uh, the Atari 2600. No, I'm from Rhode Island. I can talk about wieners uh, in a non-ironic fashion. Anyway, I'm going to go first, and then you can Yeah, talk. you go first. Seth, what have you been playing? Recently, I've been playing Bioshock Infinite. Ooh. Uh, it was released in 2013, and I played it because i beat minerva's den which makes me happy i beat minerva's den on my flight home from the west of the united states it was a very long flight i was excited to beat it on the way out but then my brain exploded with pressure oh yeah you had a pressure migraine from like sinus buildup or something it was a horrible trip but on the way back it was fine and i beat minerva's den minerva's den is the dlc for bioshock 2 so i'm finally done playing as big daddies i liked minerva's den it was i feel like the perfect length for a dlc bioshock always feels like to me that it's going to go on forever but minerva's den did not it was a very good length and i like the twist in minerva's den and now i'm playing bioshock infinite which is different than the original Bioshock and Bioshock 2. For those who don't know or aren't familiar with Bioshock Infinite, it takes place in the opposite location that Bioshock takes place in. Bioshock takes place underwater in a city called Rapture. Bioshock Infinite takes place in the air in a city called Columbia, which is fun because Bioshock the original is really like and Ryan uh, inspired Atlas Shrugged, all that type of science and logic and all that. Very cold. Bioshock Infinite is very inspired by America and Manifest Destiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it is a very bright. It is very, I wouldn't say it's happy but it's very weird and very american in a good and bad way mostly bad way but they worship the key the scroll and the sword uh, each wielded by a founding father it's jefferson wields the scroll uh washington wields the sword and benjamin franklin wields the key and there is a lot of iconography not only about the key the scroll and the sword throughout the game but there's also a lot of iconography with george washington benjamin franklin and uh, Thomas Jefferson, who have gigantic statues and people pray to them right in the beginning of the game, and it's a little odd. You play in Bioshock Infinite a guy by the name of Booker DeWitt. He was a veteran of the U.S. Calvary during Wounded Knee, and the game takes place in like 1912 and or like right around then and you're given an opportunity to wipe out all of your debts by finding a girl and that girl ends up being elizabeth who is a girl that is imprisoned in Columbia. That's why you go to the Flying City of Columbia, because I don't imagine Booker DeWitt to be the kind of guy 
who would go to Colombia if he had the choice of not going? Uh, and he's not doing it for some like altruistic reason. No, he's doing it because he's going to get paid. Yeah, yeah. He's like a bounty hunter. Well, he's a he's actually I think a private investigator, but we can always pretend that he is akin to Boba Fett. <laughs> and I like that they have vigors instead of plasmids. So in Bioshock, uh, you had to inject yourself with plasmid needles, which kind of was a little unnerving as you grab needles and just shoved them in your character's arm for the first game. And then the second game, you're a big daddy and you're just like filled with plasmids, so you can just exert yourself and they they come into you. In Bioshock Infinite, there. They're vigors, so they are potions that you drink, but they are permanent, and then you use salts to use your powers so you can light people on fire with the power of soda yeah it's fun yeah i've been having a blast runs really great on my steam deck i'm still before the part that i stopped when i decided that i was going to go back and play bioshock 2 but i'm almost to that part again so i'm excited to actually play like net new content one day yeah i i like bioshock infinite and i liked barrel at sea um it was pretty tough but i still liked it so i think you'll have a good time there's one thing that i'm mad about with bioshock infinite is they got rid of manual saves which is annoying. yeah they did it's really obnoxious it's really obnoxious yeah you have to like either know that you're going to be deciding to stop playing the game so then you have to go like get to an area where you can go back and forth to trigger the auto save or you just suffer by having to slog through something that you already did not great for people like me who like to explore everything so then i'll be like ah yes i spent 15 minutes going over every single nook and cranny and oh i have to go and goodbye game and I have to spend those 15 minutes looking over every nook and cranny all over again. Uh, so, Zach, what have you been playing recently? I've been playing Star Wars Jedi Survivor, oh, which was nice. released in 2023, created by Respawn Entertainment, and is the sequel to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. It takes place story-wise a few years after the end of the first game. Actually, I think about as much time has passed since the release of Fallen Order with the release of Jedi Survivor. So, Fallen Order came out, I think, in 2019 this is 2023 so i think it's about the same amount of time has passed in game as in real world time and you're still following cal kestis who is in fact a jedi who survived order 66 and you do jedi stuff and you fight the empire and it's a solid game it had a really terrible launch due to some technical issues especially on pc uh but i waited a bit before i bought the game i waited actually a little over a month and a half and the game is now patched and runs pretty well uh i had some slowdown typically if i'm like about to enter a new area and there's some big thing coming up so like at one point i was supposed to be going to a planet and a cutscene literally triggers the moment you arrive at the planet that caused the game to slow a little bit in the loading time it like took a little longer to load that planet than it did other planets but beyond that the game runs pretty smoothly on my system and uh i've been enjoying it it's a lot bigger than the first game and the combat is a lot more satisfying for one thing cal can do a couple of different lightsaber stances he has the single blade the double lightsaber a la darth maul dueling saber so he'll have one in one hand one in the other but new to this game are the cross guard saber which is kind of like wielding a long sword so it takes double hands and it's kind of a heavier blade and the saber blaster combo which is my go-to preferred where cal wields a saber in one hand and blasts people with a blaster in the other hand and when he gets the blaster he's like hmm jedi don't use blasters and his friend is like yeah but there's a lot of empire out there <laughs> Cal's like, that's a good point. Then <laughs> he takes the blaster. Doesn't he grow a beard? So there are a lot of customizations you can do with your character. Uh, a lot of it is all unlockable. So that's pretty much all 
of the stuff that you get as like unlockables and secrets are aesthetic which is fine there are a couple of like character perks that you can get so like you can find skill points you could find um what they call health essence or force essence which will increase your max force or health but the majority of stuff you're going to find is aesthetic um, stuff that you can wear or that you can um, modify your character or weapons to have a different appearance um, so all the aesthetic changes don't cause any change to gameplay so you can make your lightsaber look kind of the way you want it to look but it'll still behave like a normal lightsaber same with the blaster you can modify your blaster to have a different appearance but it will still behave pretty much the same um, though there are some perks you can give to your blaster to allow to ricochet or to have a more powerful charged shot. One of my favorite little details is there is a costume that looks very similar to Kyle Katarn, which is the current costume that I'm sporting, where he has a uh, a bandolier with like a pauldron thing on his shoulder, um, which kind of is how Kyle looked in the original game. But there's another costume that I found you can unlock called the Outrider costume, and it's the Dash Rendar costume, complete with his big bushy like what looks like a like a lifesaver vest or something yes, that he wears. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it so far. The story line is really cool they actually incorporate stuff from kenobi and the mandalorian so a lot of stuff that has shown up in kenobi and referenced in kenobi is referenced in this which is kind of nice to have that little tie-in with other media but they also explain things so you don't need to watch kenobi to understand the references which is like a thing i prefer with star wars where sometimes when you're consuming media they will still like go over the topic so you don't need to watch all of the shows but yeah no overall i'm enjoying it one thing i like is the lightsaber combat is a lot more satisfying for one thing you can enable limb dismemberment and limb dismemberment is great so i was attacking a scout trooper who was charging at me with like a staff and i slapped him with my lightsaber cut off his leg and his leg flew into a stormtrooper and knocked the stormtrooper over <laughs> is it easier with limb dismemberment on? no it's the same type of combat it just adds the fact that now the legs and arms fly off and have some physical qualities so that was kind of like a little happy quirk it's not like uh outcast where you pull out limb dismemberment and the game is just like over broken yeah no it's not like that there's also a ton of side quests in the game which is nice uh the first game didn't have a lot of side quests it had a few but this one is way more side quest heavy um you meet these npcs in various towns and they'll tell you rumors and you can go off and go look for rumors there's also a bounty hunter storyline that you can participate in it's optional but there's a character you meet who tells you that there are some bounty hunters that are after you and she says if you bring me the bounty pucks i will give you things and so you bring her the bounty pucks and she trades you stuff but yeah no overall it's a fun game i think it plays a lot better than the first game i liked the first game but i like this one a lot more and i say give it a shot so uh today we're gonna be uh what's funny is i was going through the uh the notes today and i saw mother and i thought we were gonna do mix up mother goose that's next week's episode (laughs) it very well might be next week's episode it's a series of mothers (laughs) well we talked about this topic well we mentioned this game in the last episode because we were talking about projects that were developed for the n64 dd that were later moved over to different systems that's right and this is one of those projects well the third of the series was yes so today's topic is the mother series developed by japanese developers ape and pax Softnika. the first game in the mother series was born from an idea by shigesatu itoi itoi who's already known in japan for his writing and advertising work was visiting nintendo and during During his visit to Nintendo, he met up with Shigeru Miyamoto. He pitched the idea for an RPG set in the contemporary world to Miyamoto. His idea was this vision he had where it would be similar to RPGs that were out at the time, like Dragon Quest or Final Fantasy, but set in the modern age, which was the 1980s at the time. And instead of
instead of magic and like fancy weaponry, the characters would have to solve problems using more contemporary references. And he wanted to work a game like this with the limitations that a contemporary setting would impose. Miyamoto loved the idea, but had some reservations. First off, Itoi was not a game developer. He was a copywriter who also worked on various books and poetry and was an advertiser. He was not involved in game development. And Itoi was envisioning a very big game. He was envisioning an RPG, which are massive. So that's not really the first game sort of deal for a person who's not a game developer. Another issue was that Itoi was somewhat well-known in Japan. I don't know if he was necessarily a major celebrity, but this was a time when a lot of companies were already pushing major celebrity endorsements. And Miyamoto was a bit concerned that bringing on Itoi would be drawing a lot of eyes toward any game that he would develop. Miyamoto told Itoi his concerns and told him that before they could put a concept together, he would need to recruit a team. Itoi was actually surprised by this because in the advertising world at the time, you always developed the concept first and then you put together the team, not the other way around, put together a team and then develop the concept. But Miyamoto said that's just the way they do it in the game world. And also if Itoi wanted to make this game, he needed to fully invest himself in the project. And he was concerned with Itoi's full-time job. Itoi reiterated that this was a project that he was going to be fully committed to. And Miyamoto said, okay, and began the process of putting together a team. Itoi wanted his team to feel comfortable. So he treated the work experience like an extracurricular club and they would work out of an apartment in Ichikawa, Chiba. Itoi wrote the script for the game and would actually commute daily from Tokyo where he lived, which apparently was not a fun commute. The name of the game, Mother, was derived from the term mothership, as aliens would ultimately play into the plot of the game. Now, the first Mother was released in 1989 for the Famicom in Japan. Uh, shortly after the release, development soon began on Mother 2, and the first game was due to be localized with a tentative release given as 1991, but would go on to be cancelled. Uh, this was largely due to the fact that the SNES was already out, and the sequel, Mother 2, was also well underway. In an interview with LostLevels.com, Org, the director of Mother's localization project explained that working on Mother really made Nintendo realize that they needed to produce more games that would not require as much localization in the future because Mother would be a text heavy game and text as well as concepts that are Japanese specific, uh, you need to rework and to localize it appropriately. A localized version of Mother was actually finished but never released, not officially as of this time. The ROM was found and dumped and put online as Earthbound Zero by fans. An official release was made in 2015, that's when Nintendo would actually release it, for the Wii U's virtual console. The game would finally get released again, but this time as Earthbound beginnings in 2022, which was very recent, uh, for the Nintendo Switch Online service. Mother's 2 development went a little differently than the creation of Mother. For one thing, the development team was completely different. The team worked late hours, so they didn't hang out in the apartment and just chill. They, like, crammed and crunched. But the development of the game still took over five years to be completed, with the threat of being cancelled constantly looming until Satoru Awada joined the team later in development. Uh, Awada was a programmer at 
at HAL Laboratory, a game developer that worked very closely with Nintendo. Iwata himself had worked on Balloon Fight, Kirby, and the NES port of Joust. Iwata brought with him a team of programmers from HAL, and they took over the programming part of the game, while Atoya's production company ape would work on the text and maps now the development of the story and the ideas in the game often came directly from a toy who would provide an idea and challenge his staff to create a way for the idea to be portrayed in a video game. He wanted the game to also challenge a player and make them feel strong emotions while playing it. Atoy also pulled influence from the world around him, with the final battle dialogue with the enemy, Gygus, being based on his memories of a traumatic scene in this film, The Military Policeman in the Dismembered Beauty, that he accidentally watched as a child. Uh, the music in the game was also based heavily on the band The Beat. Beach Boys and artists like Frank Zappa and John Lennon. Yeah, apparently Itoi walked into a movie theater as a young child um, thinking he was going to see a children's film and he accidentally walked into the military policeman and the dismembered beauty during a very gruesome, gruesome scene. I like to picture him on his own in like a suit. But as a little child. <laughs> but as a little child and being like, I'm here to see the children's movie and then walking in being like, my eyes should not see this. I am but a child. Now, Mother 2 would feature new elements that were not in Mother, such as a bicycle that would allow you to travel through the map faster, and they also planned to have an updated health system, which they wanted to be based on a pachinko machine, where the balls would drop after an enemy was hit. However, this turned out to be a bit daunting when you had enemies that had very large health, so they decided to change it to an odometer. The game was also originally supposed to fit within an 8 megabit limit, but this quickly grew to 12, and then to 24 megabits as the game got bigger and bigger and bigger. One interesting thing about Mother is that it does actually feature some anti-piracy measures. If the game detects that it is not an authentic copy, it will make enemies spawn more frequently to make the game more annoying. Also, if you manage to reach the end of the game in a pirated version, the game would reset and delete the save, like just before you get to the end of the game. Mother 2 itself was released in August of 1994, and localization did actually get started on Mother 2, which involved changes that need to be made for the American audience, including just the fact that Mother 1 never came out in the US, so they couldn't just call the game Mother 2. They decided to name the game Earthbound, which ties into the alien elements in the plot. The localization process began with Nintendo of America staff Dan Osen, who worked on about 10% of the game's script and then left. Then his position was filled by Marcus Lindblom. Nintendo gave Lindblom free reign of the game, as the original script needed to be quote-unquote more American. So Lindblom decided that this was his opportunity to do what he wanted. He chose to work alone on the project, beyond getting some assistance from a Japanese writer named Masayuki Miura, who helped provide context to some of the jokes and the humor in the game to make it easier to localize. Lindblom needed to change various jokes and puns that would just not make sense if they were translated into English but he also wanted to put in some of his own references and jokes. So he added references to things like the Benny Hill show, this is Spinal Tap, and various other Americana cultural items. He also decided to name an NPC after his daughter, Nico, who was born during the production of the game's localization. He actually took a day off for her birth and then would immediately return to work and work 14 hours days, including on weekends, which is why it only took a year for the localization to finish. Marcus was also required to change various art assets. This included removing references to religion, alcohol, nudity, and real-life IPs, because America was, you know, 
a little weird when it came to stuff like that. So some of the things that had to change for the American market was removing crosses from the tombstones, Coca-Cola logo removed from the truck that it was visible on, and the crosses being on at hospitals. Fun fact, using Red Cross symbol without permission from the Red Cross organization is a direct violation of the Geneva Convention. A lot of this was uh, self-imposed by Nintendo of America due to the fact that they wanted to sell it to everybody and not get backlash from um, uh, the religious right. He also had the characters of the happy, happiest blue cult members changed because they kind of looked like Ku Klux Klan members. Now, the game would release in America in June of 1995. Mother's 3 development is a whole other mess of a story. The game originally began as a game for the Super Famicom in 1994. Miyamoto acted as producer for the game and was familiar enough with the toy at this time that he willingly provided a team without a need for a pitch. Development was moved over to the N64 Four, as that system had launched and the Mother 3 team were seeing success of the Super Mario 64. I think we may mention it, but uh, one of my first interactions with Earthbound was uh, Super Smash Brothers because Ness is in it and my friend who liked Earthbound said Ness was the bee's knees. I always wondered why you always said that because whenever we played, even without your friend, you would just be like, Ness is the bee's knees. And I was like, okay. Because <laughs> I had a friend named Billy and he would always say, Ness is the bee's knees. And that's where it came from. It was from Billy. Uh, Billy, if you're listening to this, Ness is the bee's knees. <laughs> As Mother 3 was going to be big, they then shifted development to the 64DD, so not to be limited by the cartridge size for the N64. Miyamoto even mentioned the game at E3 1997, indicating he anticipated it would be a launch title for the DD. Now, Mother 3 development was being closely followed by the U.S. Earthbound fan community, which has sprung up because of their love for the SNES Earthbound game, and Nintendo would announce Earthbound 64 as a title at Space World 1999, where a playable version was available. Nintendo would also make the announcement that the game would be converted from the 64DD disc to a 256 megabit cartridge, and additional missions would be accessible via the 64DD, because this is Nintendo slowly walking back the DD. <laughs> IGN at the time when this happened actually put out an article being like, we have a feeling that the N64DD might not be doing as well as we think it is in Japan. Now, in April of 2000, there was still no sign of the game and various game journals assumed that it would be shown at Space World of 2000. However, the game was not announced at Space World 2000, and in fact, it was canceled on August 20th. From here came a period of silence as Nintendo was shifting their focus to now the GameCube. Awada and Miyamoto thought about moving the game to the Game Boy Advance, but realized that the amount of time it would take to develop the game for that console would be equal to the time they spent working on it in the first place. Aitoi was quoted as saying at one point that he assumed restarting the project would be impossible. Now, in 2003, Mother 1 and 2 came out on the GBA, bundled together as ports of the first and second game. At the same time, a commercial aired that announced, we're making Mother 3 for the GBA 2. Uh, the game would take on a pixelated style similar to Mother 2, and the story that was developed for Earthbound 64 
would be reworked into Mother 3 for the Game Boy Advance. Some changes were made as the original ending for the game was reportedly much darker, so a toy decided to bring more levity to the game's ending and left it a little less vague. Mother 3 would release an April 2006 exclusive in Japan, and to date, there has been no official English localization. There is a fan translation that does exist and has been around since 2008. So, if you decide that you want to play Mother 3, based solely on us talking about it, and you go get the fan translation, understand that it was a fan that translated it, and it wasn't professionally localized. It's not professionally localized, but it's a very good translation. They did a great job with it. The Mother games are role-playing games, uh, similar to other JRPG games of that era. The first game in particular takes a lot of influence from the Dragon Quest franchise, which is, like, the best-selling role-playing game series of all time, I'm pretty sure. I think I heard somewhere that when a new Dragon Quest game comes out in Japan, they have to, like, cancel school because they know kids won't show up (laughs) because, like, Dragon Quest is huge. But unlike other RPG games at the time, Mother is set in the contemporary world. Instead of dungeons, you're fighting in warehouses. Instead of swords, you're equipping baseball bats. And instead of magic, your character has psychic abilities. The second game introduced a gameplay mechanic that was really creative, and I wish more JRPGs used this mechanic. Basically, it would allow battles to play out automatically without the player's input. So the idea is the game has random encounters. You're walking around, you encounter an enemy. At some point in the game, when your character gets high enough level, when you encounter a low level enemy, your party and it's predicted that your party would have a 100% chance of beating that enemy, the battle won't play out. You will trigger the animation for the battle to begin, and all of a sudden, it will just instantly play the victory sound, and you'll be rewarded instantly with the XP. It really gets rid of that whole common criticism of JRPGs, which is the grind. So instead of encountering hundreds and hundreds of low-level, you know, level one enemies, you just automatically beat them and you gain the XP anyway, and you can grind through them. That mechanic alone makes, at least Earthbound, a better experience to play than Mother 1, because that's not available in Mother 1, you do have to grind. All three games actually follow different characters, but they're intertwined by the events of the world they're set in. The first game follows a young boy named Ninten, who's from America. His father asks him to investigate a paranormal mystery that is plaguing their town and the world and ultimately you must fight aliens that's like as much as the plot i was able to pull from the uh description i was reading without getting too confused (laughs) so it's pretty much like you're a child and for some reason your father is like young child you must save the world and you're like all right and you go and do that Imagine the town next over, not the town next over, maybe the country next over. You're a kid and you're just tasked with like, go and collect small creatures and battle them. And then in this world, it's like, go and save the world. You just have to fight aliens. I think the the connection as why it's you is because your great grandfather was investigating psychic abilities and you inherited his psychic abilities from him. So you can use psychic abilities. Like PK Fire. Yes, so Nintendo is different. Nintendo, not Nintendo. Nintendo is different than NES. They look similar. They are different people. The second game, Earthbound, takes place uh, a few years later in the country of Eagle Land, which is certainly not a clever jab at America. And you play as NES. Who, who's the bee's um, knees? Who's the bee's knees? Ness investigates a meteorite crash with his friend Pokey, and they soon learn of an alien force named Gygus who has come to consume the world with hatred. You then must travel 
travel to find melodies from eight various sanctuaries. This journey takes you to various places, such as the Happy Happy Village, which consists of the Happy Cultists, the City of Foreside, the Seaside Resort of Summers, Saturn Valley, and various other places, like uh, there's a desert you go to, uh, you go to a weird world where it's inhabited just by dinosaurs that I think can talk to you. You just go a lot of places that, that aren't real places, <laughs> but Ness has a good time doing it. And Saturn Valley consists entirely of Mr. Saturn's which is where you get Mr. Saturn, who is like a round ball man who has feet. He looks kind of weird. <laughs> in Smash Brothers, you can throw him at people. The third game, Mother 3, is set on the fictional Nowhere Islands, uh, some undescribed length of time after Earthbound. You start the game as Lucas, who is preparing to go home with his mother Hinawa and twin brother Klaus after visiting Hinawa's father. Before they return to their hometown, the Tasmili village, it is attacked by the pig mask army, who bomb the nearby forest and start a fire, which ends up burning down parts of the town. Hinawa's husband, Flint, decides that uh, now's a good time to go look for his family because apparently a war is starting. So he goes off and looks for his family and he discovers the twins, Klaus and Lucas, but learns that Hinawa was killed by a once friendly lizard creature called Drago. You soon learn that there is more than meets the eye as the rest of the game begins to unfold and a mystery starts to envelop the town as you need to uh, figure out why there are cyborgs and also why Drago was turned evil which because he turned into a cyborg which you find out pretty soon but yeah i don't want to so the mother games are really story heavy games i mean they're rpgs we could probably spend the whole episode just probably going through the plot of each game and to be honest that would not benefit you the listener to i think experience this game you need to play these games and mother 3 in particular is considered an amazing game and part of the reason why it likely hasn't been localized yet is because despite being a game really targeted toward a younger audience it has some very adult themes and a lot of the stuff that happens in it is a little harder to translate into a what we considered a child-friendly game here um a lot of it has to do with the things like uh the coming of age of children and the loss of innocence is played into the game a lot itoi based the experience of developing psychic powers off of puberty so like he he was building this world of loss of innocence and becoming an adult and experience the world through a different lens that i think would be hard to localize with the nintendo's of america sensibilities no shade on nintendo of america uh, but besides a little shade but they tend to not tackle games of that nature <laughs> they go pretty extreme when it comes to uh like censoring and stuff like that yeah and, and to this day i think when they put out a game that's targeting children they really try to keep it as clean as possible i mean mario does not talk about like the death of family and the loss of innocence it talks about a plumber man who's hunting a, a turtle <laughs> they should honestly sell the rights to a third party to just to localize it to america be like you release it because they don't care about other games that have like mature stuff on the switch and stuff or they just put it out like at this point nintendo has doom on switch like i don't think they care too much i think they'll put it out when they're like we need some money yeah yeah uh speaking of money seth how did mother franchise do now mother the original mother sold around four hundred thousand units in japan on release and was the sixth best-selling game of 1989 in the country the game was widely praised for its similarity in gameplay to dragon quest but also the fact that the game was very much a parody of these genres so for example here's how you can think about it if we want to look at it america dragon quest was to rpgs as doom 
was to first person shooters. Oh yeah. So Mother was like Duke Nukem. <laughs> yeah, that's really an apt comparison. It's a lot like Duke Nukem. And you know what? The last game took forever to make. Now Mother 2 slash Earthbound sold 518,000 units in Japan and 140,000 units in the US. There was no European release of the game. The American release was ultimately seen as not successful, which would probably be another reason why they may have paused localization as the marketing campaign consisted of human derived from the game and was a bit abnormal. For example, some magazines in Nintendo Power had its scratch and sniff ad that said this game stinks. The US release also was bundled with a strategy guide which made the packaging bigger than the standard SNES game and also meant the game was more expensive and still is today. Uh, In fact, it is probably one of the top excelling game. Um, I think Zach and I saw an inbox copy of Earthbound with the strategy guide sealed i think the guy was selling it for 1300 dollars. oh yeah and that was back a few years ago currently it goes for roughly complete with the strategy guide and the manual in the box uh two thousand dollars brand new if you find a sealed copy you got about seven grand sitting there <laughs> The game was also released in late into the SNES life because as we were even talking about during the episode, we talked about how they were like already moving on with the N64 and all these factors really damaged the sales. Despite all of this, the game was reviewed pretty highly with critics calling it highly intelligent and captivating and it's still a cult classic today. Um, I think it's definitely really been one of those games that um, collectors are trying to collect and get original boxes. Um, I think the unique box with strategy guide is something that's kind of like a grail for a lot of collectors so i mean i'm i'm not a physical game collector but i'm sure if zach saw it for a pretty good price he'd pick it up like if it was a stupidly dumb low price if it was like if it was like a loose copy going for a hundred maybe no what if it was a cib from an old lady for twenty dollars uh i'd snag it cib sealed now mother three uh would go on to sell two hundred thousand units on release in just japan as we mentioned the game was not localized so there are no sales to the american or european markets though critics imported it and gave the game positive reviews critic tim rogers has stated mother 3 is the closest that games has come to literature now mother's legacy as seth alluded to is massive especially earthbound earthbound alone is often cited to be one of the best games of all time uh, let alone one of the best rpgs on the snes and it inspired countless of other games toby fox for example created a earthbound hack called the earthbound halloween hack which heavily inspired the development of undertale the game omori was also heavily heavily inspired by earthbound costume quest lisa and south park the stick of truth is one of the many games inspired by Earthbound. The game also earned a cult following. If you go to game conventions today, you'll see cosplayers often dressed as Ness, and you'll often find, including at PAX, unlicensed merchandise sold via various retail outlets like Fangamer. In fact, Seth and I were at PAX, and Fangamer had a booth with Earthbound stuff for sale. And Fangamer themselves, they actually were born out of Starmen.net, a Earthbound fan community site, which in 2007, put together a two 
170-page art book and sent it to Nintendo to show them how interested the community was in Earthbound and how much they wanted Mother 3 to be localized. Nintendo did not respond. So the fans went and localized it themselves. They were like, if Nintendo's not going to do this, we're going to do this. And they did it. And in the years since, while there are currently no plans at the time of recording for Nintendo to localize the game, uh, Nintendo has referenced it and the series as a whole. So Ness from Earthbound and Lucas from Mother 3 have appeared in the Smash Brothers games. Ness actually started out in Super Smash Brothers for the N64, which I think for a lot of people might have been kind of a way to introduce them to NES because I feel like more people played Smash Brothers than played Earthbound. People might have played the game and been like, hey, who's this kid? And then later found out what Earthbound was and got into it that way. Nintendo also worked with the animation team behind Robot Chicken to make a short video in 2014 where then president of Nintendo, Reggie Filame, lights a fan on fire using a Mario fire flower because the fan asks him are you going to localize mother 3 <laughs> and that is the legacy and the history of the mother series now we're going to get into the retro rewind seth had me play lego island which was a 1997 pc game um, which according to wikipedia is an open world action adventure game which is the best description for lego island i would describe lego island as a fast-moving PowerPoint presentation with some things to click on. You play as various characters on the titular Lego Island. I personally prefer as playing as Pepperoni, who is the quote-unquote dude with the food. He is a pizza delivery boy who delivers things on a skateboard and usually is the reason that things go wrong on Lego Island. It took me about 25 minutes to figure out how to get the game to install on a modern Windows 11 computer, and after that, still didn't run very well. Even after I watched a video that was like, 100% guarantee get Lego Island to work on your modern computer. Guess what? Didn't work, video! To be fair, they were getting it to run on a Windows 10, and I'm on a Windows 11, so I assume maybe there was a bit of a miscommunication. Not only did I have to download the game and run the installer, but you also had to download a, like, Voodoo FX faker thing so it was like you a just use your um didn't you have a build i thought you had a pc build it's on my old computer and i haven't moved it over yet and that, i don't even know if it's on my old fine computer. they probably would have run fine but anyway does lego island hold up if it worked yes i love lego island it's a stupid game as it does not work very well i can't honestly recommend you go out and go play lego island though unless you have a computer that can probably run lego island it's it doesn't run very well, so good luck. Next week, Seth, you can play Mega Man Soccer for the Super Nintendo. Sweet. Zach had me play the first Samurai, which was released originally on the Amiga in 1991, uh, the C64 and DOS in 92, and the version I played, the SNES version, was released in 1993. You play as a Samurai, but not only a Samurai, you're playing as the first Samurai, or someone who wants to be the first Samurai. And it's a platform beat-em-up game. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit of both. There's a lot of platforming. There's also a lot of beating up people. Kind of very much like a tame ghost and goblins. You play as a samurai who shouts, My sword! My sword. And you say it pretty regularly. Also, uh, when you get food, it says, Hallelujah. They're fun. 
Uh, the first few times that they happen, when it's the second level and there is no music and they are happening still, they are annoying. The first stage is set in feudal Japan. You, After you fight off these two dragons, you are teleported to a uh, train car in the sky and eventually some parts of the level become a sci-fi dystopia world and some parts are the feudal Japan. It's a interesting. So I honestly skipped the intro movie that told me the plot, but you are playing as a man who wants to be a samurai. Uh, he has a master who is trained him to be a samurai but is also not a samurai and then the demon king comes and kills the master and then you have to go kill the demon king that's pretty much the story so there's some fun parts and there's some tough parts the fun parts is that you don't die when you die uh you just lose your sword you then punch people and kick people and you can in fact punch and kick enough people to get back your sword and so then you'll say my sword as a sword and it just flies from off screen to you every time that you need to get it and you get some items you get a magical bell you can get some throwing axes some throwing daggers uh you use these magical bells to progress through puzzles in the level which are kind of cool and the only negative thing that i would say is that the respawn rate is really really high like you just take a little step off the screen and everything is back to being alive and it's rough but the character has like a like a survivability versus like ghostly goblins and ghostly goblins you have two hits and you're dead this one you can take like a million hits but there's still a lot of creatures coming from everywhere there was a sequel uh it was called second samurai nice and zach you can play that sequel i will it was on the mega drive Sweet. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into our episode. If you have any memories about the Mother series, specifically Earthbound, feel free to email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can also reach out to our Facebook, Classic Gaming Brothers, our Twitter, CG Brothers Pod, or our Instagram, Classic Gaming Brothers. Also, be sure to visit our website, classicgamingbrothers.com, and uh, be sure to like and subscribe to us on all the various podcasting applications out there, be it Podbean, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, etc. Anyway, Seth, I think that's all that I have to say. Do you have anything you have to say? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's... That's...